Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, the podcast within a podcast that is now a spin-off podcast where I ask Tessa questions about the episodes of Lost that we watched this week. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is the Bernard to my rose, Tessa. She always knew he was alive! This week, we're talking about four more episodes, dot dot dot, and found, abandoned, the other 48 days, and collision. Michael, Sawyer, and Jin find their way back to the... Michael, Sawyer, and Jin find their way back to their island home, and the survivors from the tail section meet the survivors from the main cabin, but not before another main character dies. Now these episodes focus most mostly now these episodes mostly focus on the tailies, so we don't see a lot of the hatch, but what little we do see indicates that Locke and Jack and maybe some others are getting pretty comfortable with their lives in the Swan Station. How does that make you feel? I think it's pretty good. I mean, they're taking advantage of the technology and the other things that they get from the Swan Station. I mean, they're taking showers regularly now, which is always a good thing. I know that the station still creeps Rose out because she still insists on doing her hand washing of the laundry instead of using the off-screen washing and washing machines and dryers at Swan Station. But, I mean, they seemed pretty settled in. I'm a little confused about why more people haven't moved into the hatch. Maybe the beach is just nicer. But yeah, I mean, it seems like they've got a good status quo going. So these episodes are all about trust. How do you trust anyone after being terrorized by the others? And we see this dynamic play out, especially during the trek to the other side of the island. So what did you think about that journey and, and, and what went on during that journey and the interplay between these characters? Oh gosh, there's so much that you could say about this journey and the interactions between the Tailies and Michael, Jin, and Sawyer. Although Sawyer's unconscious for like the last two episodes, so I guess maybe not. Man, I, the others have really messed the Tailies up. And I kept thinking throughout this entire episode that the whole point of the Tailies storyline seems to be what if you crash landed on the wrong part of the island. Like, it made me think how lucky Jack and friends are to have landed where they did, to have had access to medication, to be pretty far away from the others. I mean, we did have uh, we did have Ethan infiltrating Jack's gang at the beginning, but they really haven't had to deal with the types of attacks that Anna Lucia and her and the Tailies have had to go through. So, you know, and they didn't have access to medication or anything. And so that... That really was put into focus, I think, by this journey. Ana Lucia does not trust anyone. She has so many trust issues, but rightfully so. I mean, like the others, like from the get-go, like night one started taking people and that's just really hard. And one of the people who was part of the Taylor group turns out to be an Ethan situation, which can we talk about the fact that all of the others that they've met so far have claimed to be from Canada? Like, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So I just think that there's a lot of these trust issues that are born from bad luck, right? Like they did not have the same resources as Jack and Co. And so that is where a lot of this conflict is coming from. We also have Michael 
going off trying to find Walt, which is completely understandable. But I also really love the interactions between Mr. Echo and the rest of the group. Speaking about the others. So when I first saw Josh Randall, co-star of Tom Cavanaugh from the TV show Ed, after already seeing Julie Bowen, co-star of Tom Cavanaugh from TV show Ed, I wondered if we'd ever see Tom Cavanaugh on the show, and I began to fear that we'd see Justin Long on the show. Now, just out of curiosity, though, who do you think the others are? So... We get to see more of the others in this episode or in these set of episodes. And frankly, they're terrifying. I don't know if they are a group of people who are just made up of people who have crashed on the island, been deserted on the island. I don't know if it's a Dharma Initiative, BF Skinner social science type of thing, which seems to be all that I'm watching these days with The Prisoner and Now Lost. What I can tell you is based on the image where... Jin and Mr. Echo are hiding in the bushes and they see the others go by and one of them's like dragging a teddy bear behind. All I could think of was this is like a lost boys gone wrong situation. This is like Peter Pan. They're all perpetual children. Lord of the Flies like type of, you know, group who are just very cruel and have their own situation, but are perpetual children. Maybe regression is like a word we could use here. I'm not sure. But the other thing, though, is that they're very, like, good at tricking people. They're good at infiltrating groups. So I don't know. It's I'm fascinated. I want to know more about the others, but they are genuinely terrifying at the same time. The journey ends, as I mentioned earlier, with Shannon's death. Ana Lucia hears whispers, freaks out, first person who comes from the clearing, also having heard whispers, is Shannon. How did you feel about the end of Shannon's arc, especially with the the flashback revelation that she was basically a real-life Cinderella? So Shannon has really grown on me through this series, and I was really sad that they decided to end her arc here, although upon reflection, I don't actually know where they would have gone with her character. Like, it seems like, especially in those flashbacks and in the scenes with Saeed, that she kind of resolved her main insecurity, which is that people don't see her as useful or they don't believe her. And so, you know, with Saeed saying, you know, I believe you, I love you, that seemed to kind of resolve a lot of the tension that we saw in earlier episodes with Boone and in the flashback episodes. Of course, we also get to see Boone in the flashback, which is, you know, always good. So, you know... This is a clear example of fridging. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Shannon is killed because it's going to further Saeed's storyline. It's going to tell us some more about his character. I'm still really heartbroken for Saeed. I mean, it did what it was supposed to do, which is make me feel really terrible for Saeed, who just said that he loved her right before she died. And of course, we get to see all these images of him cradling her dead body, which is really, really sad. But on the other hand, like I said, I don't know where they would have gone with her character after this. It seems like she had a complete arc. And I do appreciate that at least in fridging her, they did it by accident. You know, Anna Lucia kills her accidentally instead of having her like killed violently by the others or taken violently by the others. I think that would have been a lot more trauma porn adjacent and that that would have not been good. 
So it's really sad that both siblings are now dead on the island. But, you know, it's just sad. I do not give Lindelof a lot of credit for things that happened on this show. You know, I do credit him as well as JJ and and Cuse for putting together probably my favorite show of all time. But I dislike a terrible amount of it. And I think that Boone was, you know, the stakes are real. That was really what his death was there to do, to show the stakes were real. As somebody who's read the giant Jeff Jensen recaps that became legend, especially in the later seasons, and have heard so much of the revisionist history from Team Darleton. It's hard to know what to believe and what not to believe, but for me, Shannon's death was basically, okay, well, we want this story, and to make this story happen, we need to sacrifice her. And We will talk later about where that gets us. Those of you who have seen the show know exactly what I'm referring to, but it seems like a decision. Sacrifice Shannon to get the tailies. And so the question is, do we get better than we lost? Pun intended, I guess. Now, the other 48 days, the episode, it breaks the established format by giving us one long flashback about what was happening on the other side of the island during season one. Your reaction to that episode? I mean, it's a really good episode. I like that we kind of play with time. I wish it hadn't occurred right after the episode that ends with Shannon's death and Saeed cradling her dead body, because I had to wait a whole episode before a resolution on that particular scene. But I really liked actually seeing what the others did. I like seeing sort of the slow unraveling of Ana Lucia, who's of course played by Michelle Rodriguez, who I love. There's definitely some Fast and Furious headcanon going on in my brain. But this whole episode seems to be about her slowly losing her grip on not necessarily reality, because I think she actually understands the reality of the situation better than some of the other people in her group. But sort of her uh, unraveling her ability to trust, unraveling her ability to be a good leader and to keep cohesion in the group. I, I thought that that was really well done. She's not a good person. She's told that she's not a good person by Goodwin, who says that the others only take the good people in the group, which is another reason why I'm fascinated to know what the others are. But it's she's still a compelling character in the sense that she provides a lot of conflict. She's supposed to be the mirror image of Jack, right? And so I found that fascinating. I Again, I just, I think this episode really demonstrates to us how lucky Jack and Kate and all of them were to be together and to have access to the resources that they had access to. Ana Lucia's backstory in Collision attempts to explain why she pulled the trigger and killed Shannon and why she had so many of those trust issues. Is Ana Lucia, a redeemable character. Well, first of all, we learn that Ana Lucia is a cop, so she does fall under the ACAB category. And actually, it made a lot of sense to me that she was a cop. I didn't expect her to be a cop, but once they revealed that, I realized, yeah, no, this totally makes sense. She is a character who's used to being part of an elite group of people who doesn't have a lot of oversight, that 
you know, has gone through some traumatic things as part of her job that have made it harder, easier. I'm sorry. Who has gone through a lot of traumatic things as part of her job that have made it easier for her to pull the trigger and harder for her to trust people who are outside of her group. So she is treating the Tailies like they are also cops. That she is part of this inner circle of people who that's all that matters. There, There's us and then there's them. And she's having a really hard time differentiating between the others as them and the other people who are in the plane crash. So it it really made a lot of sense to me. Her backstory is tragic, of course, but all I could think of was like, man, she pulls that gun real fast on that guy with the TV. And she really shouldn't be a cop anymore. I mean, not that I think cops should exist in the first place, but that's like a whole other podcast. So yeah, no, this made sense to me. It made sense as a backstory for her. And I am really scared to see what she does with Jack and the group. Like, I feel like she's going to challenge Jack a lot, even though they had their little flirtation at the airport in the flashback scenes. And I feel like she's going to be trouble. I really do. I don't think that she can function in a group of people in which she has to have accountability for what she does. And those TVs were heavy. Also, we know that Dom eventually becomes best friends with Brian, who is a cop. So I guess it's probably okay that Letty is also a cop in this particular headcanon. Brian leaves the police force. The best movies happen after he's not a cop anymore. And this has been a mini episode of The Nine Days of Fast and Furious, I guess? I don't know. In and found, Sun loses her wedding ring, and we also have a flashback revealing more about Jin's backstory. It's a Jin flashback, ostensibly, but we actually get flat... It is a Jin and Sun combo flashback. So it is a... A... Jun? Sin? I don't know. Uh, Flashback. What did that flashback tell you about those two characters? So I said this in the last episode where they've done a really good job of redeeming Jin as a character. Like he was definitely a stereotype at the beginning and now he feels like a fully fleshed character that I'm rooting for. This is a romance. Like this flashback was, you know, sort of, it goes, it tracks their experiences a few days before they actually meet each other in the park. It's very much interested in how Jin has been treated as somebody who's from a rural area, as somebody who's had to work his way up to get where he is. It also interrogates Sun's position as the daughter of a wealthy family and the ways in which she has, her life has been sort of set up for her and how Jin represents a deviation from that path. But yeah, I, all I could think of was like Love Story by Taylor Swift. There's definitely a upstairs, downstairs type of romance being set up here. I'm curious if we'll actually see the next part of their relationship before they got married. I'm, I actually want to know. I'm invested. Tessa, of course, invokes Love Story. But when we watched the episode, I thought it was more like mine when they met by the water and you could see them start to believe for the first time. So... These episodes are pretty brutal. I mean, wow. But there is one just untarnishable bright spot. Rose and Bernard are reunited. Sam 
just looked at me while I was like flapping my hands during this scene because yeah, we do actually, we get to see Bernard reunited with Rose. She always knew he was alive. And he's just like, even when Ana Lucia is like holding a gun on him, he's like, no, I am going to go see my wife. And it's just, it, it just makes me so happy. They belong together. I, it was like the one really joyous thing. We also get to see Jin reunited with Sun, which is maybe a little less like emotional, but it's still very satisfying. We also get to see Kate reunite with Sawyer, which I have mixed feelings about because I don't think Sawyer is a good person, but whatever, you know, she loves him clearly. And that's, that's the choice that this particular show is making. I'm a little mad because I'm more of a Jack fan, but I'm assured that it'll be okay. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Notice that I asked Tessa about Rose and Bernard, and I was not going to ask anything about Sawyer and Kate, but that that ship lives rent-free in her head. You need to know that. Uh, I also forgot to mention the other really important reunion in this episode, this last episode we watched, which was between Michael and Vincent. It is really important that Vincent is reunited with Michael. And I really look forward to the day where Vincent is reunited with Walt. Vincent, the lab, not Bloodhound. So that's it for today. Join us next week for more Tessa Watches Lost. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. And you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time, does anybody else hear those whispers? <laughs>